and love is all that I can give to you. Love is more than just a game for two. Two in love can make it. Take my heart and please don't break it. Love was made for me and Welcome to Love Savers Radio, ministering the blessings of covenant. This is Walter and Sandy Fox from Love Savers Ministry, called by God to minister the blessings of the marriage covenant by enriching, encouraging, strengthening, and praying for the healing of marriages, especially marriages in crisis. Hi, Love Savers listeners. This is Keith Davis, the proprietor of the Golden Pear Cafes. As I enter my 30th year of marriage, I encourage you to seek the Lord's guidance and wisdom for your marriage, for He is the one who can help you day by day in building a lifetime of peace, joy, fond memories, and a beautiful family. When Anne walked into the Golden Pear to apply for a job as Golden Pear's first pastry chef, I had no idea that God had brought my future wife and mother of our three children literally to my front door. But that is exactly what he did. And although we have had our challenges and ups and downs, God has richly blessed our marriage and he gets the glory for our 30 years together. So I encourage you to seek God's will and use Love Savers as a resource to improve and bless your marriage. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Mark chapter 10, verse 9. Today's guest author is Dr. Gary Chapman, the best-selling author of The Five Love Languages. He also wrote the book, Loving Your Spouse When You Feel Like Walking Away. Dr. Chapman says, when you said, I do, you entered marriage with high hopes, dreaming it would be supremely happy. You never intended it to be miserable. Millions of couples are struggling in desperate marriages, but the story doesn't have to end there. Dr. Chapman believes that in every troubled marriage, one or both partners can take positive steps that have the potential for changing the emotional climate in their marriage. Sandy talks with Dr. Gary Chapman today about his book, Loving Your Spouse When You Feel Like Walking Away, real help for desperate hearts in difficult marriages. Let's listen. Hi, Dr. Chapman. How are you, Sandy? Okay, great to be talking with you again. Well, thank you. And this time we're going to discuss loving your spouse when you feel like walking away. Real help for desperate hearts in difficult marriages. Dr. Chapman, many couples have marriages on the rocks. Perhaps they're not at the point of discussing divorce, but they may be living in misery. How does a couple begin to find their way out of that situation? Well, no question about it, Sandy. There are a number of individuals who find themselves in that situation, and many of them feel like it's hopeless because it's gone on for a long time. And one of the things I'm trying to say in this book is I'm I'm empathetic with those feelings, and I know how you can get discouraged if you feel like you've tried almost everything and it doesn't get any better. But the reality is uh, things either get better or worse. They, they never stand still, and they get better or worse depending on the way we respond to our emotions, the actions that we take, 
and, and also how we treat our spouse and how we treat the other person. You know, by nature, Sandy, if you treat me kindly, I'll be kindly to you. <laughs> well, but if you treat me unkindly, then I'm going to be unkind to you. So what happens is our negative behavior stimulates negative behavior in the other person. And we fail to recognize what I call the power of influence. We can influence our spouse in a positive way just as easily as we can influence them in a negative way. So one of the things I'm saying is in a desperate marriage like that, you've got to start thinking differently. You've got to start looking differently from simply doing what comes natural. And we have to do the things that have the potential for enhancing the relationship. Right. From your experience, because you've been counseling marriages for over 35 years now, are all marriages that have intense problems, are they doomed? You know, I, I don't think so. I understand how they may think that they're doomed. <laughs> but that's really the reason why I wrote this book. Because in this book, I'm dealing with really difficult situations. I'm talking about such things as being married to a depressed spouse who's been depressed for a long time. Or an irresponsible spouse that just won't step up to the plate. Or a workaholic who's never at home or a controlling spouse who makes you feel like a child, or a verbally abusive spouse. You know, I'm talking about heavy-duty stuff in this book. And I think many people in those situations feel like they're doomed, that they only have two options. One is, I can stay in this marriage and be miserable the rest of my life, or I can bail out and hope that something will get better, or I'll find somebody and have a better marriage down the road. And what I'm saying is, I understand having those thoughts that there's only the two options, but I believe there's a third option, and that is, how can I be a positive influence, a changer, a game changer in this relationship? And I know, you know, we cannot control our spouse. I'm not suggesting that we can, but what I am suggesting is that we greatly influence our spouse negatively or positively. And so I believe even in a desperate marriage, uh, there's hope. And that doesn't mean that everybody will find hope, but I believe there is hope. Right. Well, that's good to hear. One of the main things you discuss in the book is what you call reality living. What yeah. is reality living and how can this mindset help a marriage? Well, essentially, and I deal with various aspects of reality living in the book, and we can discuss those if you like later, but yeah. essentially, it's looking at life and looking at your marriage from God's perspective for what is really true here, what is really going on here, rather than looking at your marriage through the glasses of your own emotions that I'm hurt, I'm disappointed, I'm angry, I, I, my needs are not being met, I'm very unhappy. You, you focus on those things, and you, you're likely going to make things worse because you're following those negative emotions. Reality living is looking at the situation from God's perspective and from a biblical perspective to say, you know, we are humans, and humans change. 
And I know I feel like my spouse is never going to change, but the re- one reality is people do change. I mean, the, the libraries are filled with people who live horrible lives, and then their life was radically changed. So that's one aspect of reality living is that, that people can change, and maybe I can be an instrument in stimulating positive change. Through influence, because we can never change them ourselves. Maybe right. the Lord can, right? What are four myths that people believe who find themselves in desperate marriages? Yeah, I discuss these because I've heard them so many times in my office when people are in really desperate situations. One of those myths is that my spouse determines my well-being. I'm in this marriage, and the way my spouse lives and responds to life is actually determining whether I'll have a good life or not have a good life. And that's putting the control of your well-being in the hands of another person. No, no, no. We determine our own well-being. I know we are greatly influenced by our environment, but we're not controlled by our environment. You know, we, we may be in a very desperate situation, but if we realize who we are, that we are made in the image of God, and that we are extremely valuable to God, this changes the, my, whole, my whole perspective on life. My well-being is not determined by what someone else does. It's determined by my relationship with God. Another myth is, uh, one I just alluded to, and that is that people cannot change. How many times have I heard this? You know, my spouse is an alcoholic. They've been an alcoholic for 15 years. I know they're never going to change, and I just can't continue to put up with this. Leopards don't spouse, change their spots, I've heard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but the reality is people are always changing. None of us stay the same. We either get better or we get worse, okay? And yes, sometimes people get worse, but people can get better. The reality is that people do change, and sometimes the change is radical. And so rather than assuming the myth that, well, it's a pattern of life, they're never going to be able to change it, uh, the reality is with the help of God, any pattern can be changed. And then a third myth uh, is that uh, in a difficult marriage, I have only two options. And I mentioned this earlier. One is to uh, stay in the marriage and be miserable or get out and hope to find happiness somewhere down the road. And then the fourth myth is that some situations are hopeless, and my situation is one of those. And often they sit in my office, not both of them, just one who's come, who says, I just think it's hopeless. You know, I've, I've been, we've been in this marriage for 20 years or 15 years or longer, and it, uh, I've done everything I know to do. I just think some marriages are hopeless, and I think that mine is one of them. And I'm deeply empathetic with that feeling. You know, I understand how you can get there, but I believe that this myth is to underestimate the power of our own potential to influence other people. Uh, your marriage is not beyond hope. If, if, if you're still alive, if the two of you are still alive, there's always hope. And in the book, I, it, I really have a lot of stories, real-life stories, of people's lives who have been changed by following the principles that I call reality living. Right. You write that you wish you could recommend divorce as an option. Would you explain that one, please? 
You know, I think in situations when I sit there and listen to people share their story, I can see how they think that divorce is the only option, or at least the better option. Uh, and I'm empathetic with that. And, and I make that statement, you know, I, I just wish I could say freely, yeah, just go ahead and divorce. You know, just go ahead. I can understand <laughs> I feel that way. But the reality is divorce doesn't eliminate the problems. It just gives you a different set of problems. Uh, so you move out, you divorce, okay, you're no longer faced with the pressure of living with them day by day by day, but they're still alive, and if you have children, you're going to have some interfacing with them in the years ahead. Uh, you know, you can talk to folks who have gone through divorce, and they will tell you, life on the other side of divorce while it may bring emotional relief, at least in the early stages, just getting out of the battlefield, it creates another whole set of problems for you and if you have children, for your children. And again, I'm not saying that there's never a place for divorce. I, I, I know that sometimes there are certain situations, and I discuss this in the book, in which we, we do everything we can do, possibly do, and particularly in situations where there's physical abuse or extended verbal abuse or sexual abuse of you or a child. You know, there, there are certain things you just you cannot sit there and let those things happen. And, and sometimes we have to separate, and often that separation leads to divorce. But I just think that we, in our culture at least, we have seen divorce as a way out, as a road to happiness, when in reality it simply creates additional set of problems. Right, and some of them not only are in addition, but they're the same problems because you bring your own baggage into yeah. a new relationship, right? Ab absolutely, and yeah. that's one reason why the divorce rate in second marriages is higher than the divorce rate in first marriages. Right. You see, we think that we're going to find somebody that they're going to be our soulmate and we're going to be happy forever. And the reality is, many times, both of us have been married before, so we bring all of that baggage into this new relationship. We never learn how to resolve conflicts in the first marriage, and now we're going to have conflicts in the second marriage. And so, you know, we, it's easier to give up the second time than it was the first time. And and third marriages, the divorce rate's still higher. So obviously the, the, the answer is not going from one to another. The answer is learning how to be a positive agent in the, in the relationship you now have. Right. What are the six realities you talk about that can help us come out of the no way out sense of hopelessness? Yeah. Well, one of them is that I am responsible for my own attitude. Now, I do not choose my emotions. I don't consciously think I will feel angry or I will feel disappointed. Uh, no, we don't choose our emotions, but we do choose our attitude. Attitude is a way of thinking about things. It's a perspective that we take on things. And we choose a negative attitude which sees the worst in the situation, focuses on the worst, or we choose a positive attitude, which means I'm looking for something positive in this situation. Uh, for example, you know, one, uh, I remember a couple that her husband had lost his job, and he had tried to find a job for about nine months, and he was still out of work. And her attitude was uh, that it's never, he's never going to find a job. 
and we we can't we can't make it forever. And so everything she said to him was always negative. He would come home from an interview, and she would say, "Well, I guess you didn't get that job either. What'd you do wrong this time?" Right. You know, she chooses the negative attitude. Whereas another wife, a similar situation, uh, her husband hadn't had a job for a while, and her attitude was, "You know, honey, I know this is going to work out." We can lower our standard of living for a while. I've got a part-time job. You got a part-time job. We can we can make it through this time. And I know that the right job's going to come along. You see, it's difference in attitude. It's what you focus on, and it makes all the difference in terms of the climate that you create. So so that that's one of the realities is that I choose my attitude. My spouse does not choose my attitude. I choose my attitude. A second uh, reality uh, principle is that my attitude then guides my actions. Now, by actions, I mean our words and our behavior. So if I have a pessimistic, defeatist, negative attitude, then it will come out in my words and it will come out in my behavior. But if, on the other hand, I choose to have a positive attitude, it will also come out in my words and in my behavior. And that was illustrated by the two situations I just shared. You know, the attitude determined the words and the behavior of those two wives toward their husbands who didn't have a job. And then the third principle is, I cannot change others, but I can influence others. And we've been talking about this already. Right. Because this is, this is a huge aspect. Yes. Uh, there are two parts of this reality, and they, they, have to, they can't be separated. But both of these things are true. I cannot change my spouse. So if, you, if you think you can change your spouse, then you will likely try to manipulate them. You will do one, two, three, and you think, if I do one, two, three, then they'll have to do four, five, six. You know, That's manipulation. It's trying to control them. Uh, the fact is you cannot change your spouse. But on the other hand, I can influence them, and I do influence them every single day. Even in simple ways. You know, you come home from work, and here's one scenario. You find your spouse, you give them a hug and a kiss, ask them how their day went, talk about their day a little bit, and then say, what can I do to help you this evening? That's a positive response, a positive attitude, a positive influence on them. The other scenario, you come home after work, you don't find your spouse, you simply go flip on the TV, get you something to drink, sit down and unwind in front of the TV. You have influenced your spouse, but in a negative way. So in simple things, every single day, we influence each other. And we fail to recognize the power of influence. And in the book, I'm trying to help couples discover the power of influence so that they can accomplish what their, what their potential is, and that is stimulating such a positive atmosphere that it works in the heart and mind of their spouse, and often the spouse begins to respond positively to all of that. You see, often we make things worse by following our emotions right. and letting our behavior be controlled by our emotions. And what's the danger, that. right, in letting our emotions yeah. dictate our actions? Isn't that being true to self, though, some would say? Yeah, that's what some would say. I've, I've got to be true to my emotions. You know, in our culture, uh, Sandy, we have exalted emotions. Uh, the reality is that, uh, you know, we have feelings, yes. We have thoughts, 
we have desires, we have actions, and we've exalted feelings in our culture. We, we've, we've told ourselves and, and taught ourselves that the main thing is you've got to be true to your feelings. And if you feel like you don't love them anymore, then, you know, you've, you've got to get out of the relationship. The fact is our emotions fluctuate depending on the circumstances that we're in. And, uh, and what I'm saying, and, and this is another of the principles of reality living, is that my emotions do not control my, need not to control my actions. Often they do, but they don't have to control my actions. And people say to me, Gary, but wait a minute. How can you be positive and give positive words or do positive things to a spouse when you just feel so negative toward them? Isn't that being a hypocrite? And I say, look, we go against our feelings in other areas of life every day. For example, if I only got out of bed on the mornings I feel like getting out of bed, I'd have bed sores. <laughs> I go against my feelings almost every morning. And somewhere along the line in the day, I feel good about having gotten up this morning. So this is a huge reality that, that my emotions do not have to control my actions. And, and if we can turn that around and start having loving words and loving actions, uh, then we're going to have we're going to be doing the most powerful thing we can do to have an influence on our spouse. Right. So that positive influence is really a big one. Now, it is. another one that you mention is admitting my imperfections does not mean that I am a failure. That's yeah, yeah, and I, I make this point, Sandy, because almost always in a desperate marriage, we feel like the main problem is our spouse, and we can rattle off all the things about our spouse that, that make us miserable, and I understand that, and maybe your spouse is 95% of the problem, okay? That would still leave 5% for you. None of us are perfect. And what I'm saying is, there is a place, if you want to influence your spouse, if you want to get things off of the, the, the road you've been on, there's a place for you to ask yourself, where have I failed in this relationship? It's a prayer David prayed. He said, Lord, shine your light on me and see if there's any wicked way in me. It's biblical to ask God to show you where you're failing. And if you sincerely ask God, I think he'll answer the prayer. <laughs> and I, what I suggest is write those things down and then ask God to forgive you for those things. And then go to your spouse and say, I've been thinking about us, and I know that I've been on your case a lot, but I realize I'm not perfect. And I asked God to show me where I failed you, and he gave me a pretty good list, and I've asked God to forgive me. And if you have got time, I'd like to share these with you and ask you to forgive me because I really want to be a better spouse. Wow. You, yeah. you take that approach. You see, you've stopped preaching to them. You've stopped criticizing them. You've right. stopped condemning them. And you're dealing with your own part, your own failure. They may walk away from you and not forgive you immediately, but they walk away and think, Wow. This is a different approach. Haven't heard this before. Right. It's kind of obvious that something's happening inside of you. You're taking a different perspective here. And because you took the, 
the uh, initiative to acknowledge your failures, they're far more likely somewhere down the line to realize maybe I need to confess some things. Maybe I need to apologize for some things. Uh, And what I'm saying in this one is by admitting your failures, it doesn't mean that you're a failure. It just means you're human. And all of us from time to time do and say things that, that are that are not kind and not loving and not tender. And and so when we take the initiative to deal with our own failures, we're doing a very positive thing in the relationship. Yes, another reality you mentioned is that love is the most powerful weapon for good in the whole world. You know, Sandy, I feel so strongly about this. As yeah. you know, I wrote the book, The Five Love Languages, yeah. that has now sold over 12 million copies in English and been translated in 50 languages around the world. Yes. I, I just am so convinced that love is the most powerful weapon in the world for good. And if we can, if we can ask God to pour his love into our hearts and let us be his agent for loving our spouse, in a very difficult marriage, and loving them in the right love language, in the power of the Holy Spirit, going against our feelings, yes, going against our thoughts sometimes, but doing what we know is the most powerful thing I can do, loving them in the right love language over an extended period of time has the greatest influence on a spouse. It's hard to resist unconditional love expressed in a way that the other person feels the love. It's amazing to me how many times one person comes to my office, the other will not come, and after we deal with a lot of issues and I hear their story, I challenge them to a six-month experiment. Will you speak your spouse's love language at least once a week no matter how they treat you for six months, and let's just see what happens. Over and over again, I've seen by the time the six months is over, the spouse has begun to reciprocate. The spouse has begun to say things like, is there anything I could do to help you? Ooh, hadn't heard that one before. (laughs) You tell them, yeah, yeah, if you like, you could do this. And essentially, you're teaching them how to speak your love language. But you, they got there because you were speaking their love language. And I remember the husband who said to me, you know, Dr. Chapman, uh, my wife came to you for counseling, and she, I mean, she changed. She changed, Dr. Chapman. Uh-huh. She started loving me, and I couldn't believe it because I knew I was not a good husband, and I knew I had failed her in many ways. But she started loving me, and she just, even when I told her, you know, you just may as well quit. I mean, you don't need to keep doing that stuff. I'm not a good husband. And he said, in spite of the times that I pushed her back, she just kept on loving me. And he said, Dr. Chapman, I, I, I could not believe it. And he said, my whole heart changed toward her. Uh, it's, you know, and, and, and sometimes one guy said to another friend of mine, he said, that, that Dr. Chapman's a miracle worker. <laughs> I said, no, 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 no. I'm not a miracle worker. But love does work miracles. Yes. And I can't guarantee you that if you do this experiment, that your spouse will, within the six months, begin to melt, begin to reciprocate. But I can tell you, it's the most powerful thing you can do to influence them in a positive way. And you will never regret having taken on this assignment uh, because you'll be able to look yourself in the mirror, look God in the face, 
and know that you did the most powerful thing you could do to them. And then having done that for, for six months, and along the way, maybe three months into the road, maybe you start making a request of them once in a while. If they don't ask, what can they do to help you just request of them something? And because they have been feeling your love, they're more likely to respond to your request. But uh, even if they don't, you will never regret this. You see, there are people that, that reject God. God loves them unconditionally. He gives them breath every day and health every day, and they still spit in God's face and walk away. So again, we're back to that thing. You can't control your spouse, right. but you can influence your spouse. Yes. And speaking the right love language over an extended period of time is the greatest influence, positive influence. Positive influence, yeah. right. right. Dr. Chapman, would you please give our listeners your website where they can find out how to get all your books and this latest one and any other resources? Yes, if they go to 5lovelanguages.com, that's the number 5, 5lovelanguages.com, they'll get a little snippet on all of my books. And some of the books I have, uh, you can download the free uh, discussion guides. If you want to use a book in a, in a small group discussion, uh, you can find that there, and it, it's free. And I, yes, I also um, thought it was so wonderful the way after every chapter in this latest book, you give a list of resources on the yeah. topic of each chapter, which I thought was really marvelous. Yeah. 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 Thank you for that. All right. Well, uh, again, another thank you. And I'll just say goodbye and God bless for now and hope I'll be talking to you again real soon. Well, thank you, Sandy. It's always good to talk with you. Thank you, Dr. Chapman. Bye now. Bye.